Welcome to the Focus and Chill podcast, where we discuss productivity tactics that work for neurodiverse individuals. Every episode, we interview guests with lived experience of neurodiversity who also have a solid productivity and habit game, and pass the learnings on to you, our wise and benevolent audience. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Joey. I'm Joey, and I coach creatives to get moving on their most ambitious projects through the power of solid habits and strong focus. I'm also a perpetual student of psychology and perpetually on a quest to a one-armed chin-up. And I'm Jeremy. I'm a neurodiverse software developer turned startup founder, building habit and focus software for people with ADHD. My cool party trick is leaving parties early so I get to sleep on time to do my three hour long morning routine. The Focus and Chill podcast is brought to you by Focus Bear, a habit and productivity app that makes healthy habits and deep work the path of least resistance. If you have a tendency to check emails or scroll through Instagram first thing in the morning, but long to develop a meditation and exercise habit first thing, Focus Bear can help you. The app blocks distractions on all your devices and guides you through your habits one at a time. Throughout the day, Focus Bear assists you to stay in deep work by blocking websites and apps that are unrelated to your chosen focus mode. Life's not all about work though. You'll be prompted to take regular breaks to rest your eyes and stretch your muscles. At the end of the day, Focus Bear helps you switch off. Work-related apps get hidden so you can unwind and sleep well. Check out the app by going to focusbear.io. Welcome to episode number 17 of the Focus and Chill podcast. We're thrilled to be joined by Corey Tumbledon today. Corey is a late-diagnosed ADHD and autistic mom raising a neurodiverse family. Corey uses her internet presence to share neurodivergent life in a neurotypical world. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. So we're really keen to hear both about your own journey in terms of your late diagnosis and also potentially anything that you'd like to share about being a parent. Let's begin by talking about your own journey in terms of the process of of getting diagnosed and what made you suspect it and how that diagnosis and potentially how you felt before has impacted your productivity, both positively and negatively. Well, my diagnosis journey really began, I'd say about 2019, 2018. I was looking up strategies to better support my autistic daughter who was um, coming into late adolescence, um, late teens at the time. And I just wanted to see how I could support her better as she was becoming an adult. And as I was looking up these strategies and really looking up the how and the why behind it, executive functioning and that kind of thing, I slowly came to this realization that the majority of the stuff that they were either talking about and or suggesting as far as strategies, I was already doing for myself to some extent, or I could recognize some of the things that were in there that they were talking about. And it just got me really thinking, um, like all my entire life, I've been told I was too sensitive, I was too emotional, things like that. And initially that had pointed me towards um, what they call the highly sensitive person. And I was, you know, pretty much just comfortable leaving it at that. But then, again, just as things started to to really click, and it made me wonder. So I started on this whole rabbit hole, for lack of a better word, um, of self-diagnostic tests, self-assessments, and you know, taking it with a grain of salt because they're self-assessments. 
But when I started consistently scoring for ADHD inattentive or what used to be ADD um, in the United States, it's, I believe, DSM-5, it really it made me wonder and made me question. And I think at some point I would have been almost okay carrying on with a self-diagnosis only because I understand that you know financial reasons can be a barrier. There's sometimes wait lists. And as an adult, at least in the United States, it can be very difficult to get a diagnosis. But at the same time, the reason I ended up pursuing a diagnosis was because if I ever needed to go on medication, um, full disclosure, I take medication for depression and probably should have been taking something for my anxiety. So I've never been opposed to taking medication if it was going to support me or and just help out in some way in my life. So that's what my primary reason for pursuing the official diagnosis. And I went into my evaluation fully you know, confident that I was going to walk out of there with this, um, this diagnosis of inattentive ADHD. And have, you know, going through the questions and after my evaluation was done, the evaluator, she said, she's like, well, you have inattentive ADHD. And it's like, okay, well, I was expecting that. And she said, and you also have autism level one. It's like, oh, okay. Wasn't expecting that. But, mm. and then she, yeah. So then she explained some of the things as far as questions I had answered, not just from present you know, adulthood, but also from looking back on childhood. And it's like, oh, okay, well. Um, and just being that I have an autistic daughter, I, I was almost getting mad at myself because I feel that I should have been a little bit more aware of what to look for because, you know, I have an autistic daughter. But at the same time, she is autism level three, where what would be considered classic autism. and I am what would be considered, I guess, the high functioning or what they used to call Asperger's. And so those signs and kind of the early symptoms, early signs of autism in, you know, the quote, higher functioning girls, sometimes it's different than what I had, you know, come used to with my daughter. So getting the two diagnoses, it explained just a lot for me. And it also helped me kind of just realize, okay, my brain's not broken. There's not something fundamentally wrong with me. I'm not any less than I just do things differently because my brain is wired differently. And what it really did for me too, was it just, like I said, it explained so much and helped me just to kind of reconcile a lot of things from my childhood onward that just never felt quite right. And what it's also allowed me to do is to adapt all the strategies that I've done for myself, for my autistic daughter, and then also for my younger daughter. She reminds me a lot of myself when I was younger. So there's part of me that wonders, okay, well, maybe I'm going to be going through that kind of process with her. Or if she's not, then I can at least provide her with some kind of support. I can provide her with, you know, coping strategies and things like that. So that was my diagnosis <laughs> process. And mm. 
So I wasn't diagnosed until 2020, 2021, around there. Yeah. So it's been interesting. And I think though, but learning more about it and in particular, like learning about the executive functioning stuff and how much it affects has also helped me understand why I struggled so much with um, certain time with schedules, for example, with the planners that are like by the hour or by the half hour, I can't use them because if I see something that's within, you know, half an hour time and I don't get it done within that half hour, I'm going to get really upset (laughs) and it's going to take me a bit to kind of get over it instead of, you know, just being able to kind of cope with the fact that, okay, well, it didn't get done. It didn't get done. No. When I see it written in there in that particular time, I need to get it done because that's just how my brain is wired. (laughs) So that helped me a lot just in terms of realizing, okay, so some things work for me really well for me and other things not so much. Traditional planners, they do not work for me. So I have to ditch them. I can't use them. I use a modified and adapted like Pomodoro technique and a lot of block scheduling to really help with my productivity. That's been the two biggest things that have helped me. And partially because, especially with the Pomodoro stuff and the block scheduling in that combination, I can only focus for so long on one thing, especially if it's something that I really don't want to do. If it's something that I'm really interested in, then I need to go kind of the opposite and have triggers in place that are going to break me out of a hyper-focusing mode. But if it's something that I really don't want to do, I've had to train my brain to associate certain kinds of music with certain tasks. And I do my tasks for 25, 30 minutes. I take my break and then go another 25, 30 minutes, take a break. And having that structure, having that routine and having that predictability has helped me immensely, especially with stuff that I really don't want to do, but that has to get done for the sake of business. So hmm. it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds like a, a real revelation. And did it help you to have some self-acceptance as well? Because you were saying earlier, um, highly sensitive person, uh, that's how you... That's what you thought explained some of the, the ways that you dealt with life. Does it feel better to have an, I guess, uh, an ASD diagnosis compared to highly sensitive person? Absolutely. Because mm. there's still, I think, so much ambiguity mm. around um, the HSP diagnosis. Or it's not even a diagnosis. I think it's the other thing. And there's, like I said, there's a lot of ambiguity around it. So finding specific supports and resources, this was the other thing I found for highly sensitive people. Quite a bit of the advice that's out there is actually geared towards people who are either on the autism spectrum or who have ADHD, Mm. (laughs) but they just don't realize it. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, if you're highly sensitive, you may have, you know, be sensitive to light and sound and you know, whatever. I'm like, yeah, that's sensory overload right there. Yeah. <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> so yeah, no, having that more formal diagnosis in place, that has gone, I think, such a long way for me. And, you know, again, with the whole, with reconciling just a lot of things and really helping me kind of just kind of embrace it and say, it's like, yeah, this is just who I am. And 
that and I find that people understand <laughs> autistic and ADHD far more than they understand highly sensitive persons. So I have a lot less to explain, which is nice. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that sounds really empowering to to have that extra information and especially with your other daughter as well. To... Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, you know, like I said, she is very much my twin in personality. And I I just see so much of myself as a child in her. And I can't help but wonder if we're going to be going down the same path and the same things that, you know, I struggled with, if she's going to be struggling with. And, you know, there's part of me that doesn't want to dwell on it just because I want to be able to enjoy watching her grow up. But then there's another part of me that wants to be prepared because what if? Mm. Yeah. It's a very fine line right there. Yeah. Do you think it it would have helped if you had been diagnosed at an earlier age? Or? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because for me, what I would have benefited the most from, I think, would have been just kind of some supports as far as um, maybe helping with some social skills, but more like being able to take a break when I was just being bombarded with everything else that was going on in the classroom. Um, I remember quite clearly, actually, I had such difficulty with taking tests, especially during the warmer weather, because the window would be open and sometimes the our janitor custodians, our um, groundskeepers would be mowing the lawn outside. So... (laughs) I hear all the noises outside, not just the lawnmower, but birds and street traffic and everything that was outside, plus the stuff inside. So the humming lights overhead, fellow classmates, you know, snapping their fingers or clicking their pens or tapping their desks with their pens or pencils. It was all of that auditory the input on top of it may have been a little bit more warm in the classroom with the windows open, or there might have been a slight breeze. Where mm. it was, it was a nightmare. Honestly, it was a nightmare. And I think I was always one of the kids who finished their tests early, and then I was just kind of left to my own devices, just kind of sitting there looking around. And I think I would have benefited from just being able to take my tests in a more quiet room or area, so I could just focus. Or, you know, if I'm done with my test, please just let me go early so I don't have to just sit here and fidget and be a distraction to everybody else who's trying to take their test. Mm. <laughs> and they did that in elementary school. Whenever I would finish something early, my teacher would give me some kind of inter-school, inter-class assignment. So I'd go take something to another teacher or to the administrative office or, or whatever, which was great. Because then I wasn't being a distraction to everybody else because, mm. <laughs> you know, I was bouncing in my chair, like my my leg was bouncing or I was tapping my fingers on my desk or, or whatever because I was bored. Oh. <laughs> I finished my test. Now what? <laughs> so, you know, I thought there was that kind of giving me some way, I think, just to regulate that excess <laughs> without again without being a distraction and or disturbance to other people <laughs> because it that was my other like I said that was my biggest one of my biggest problems in school was that I would either finish my tests so early and I have a really great you know long-term memory my long-term memory is great 
I can do all that stuff. My short-term memory, not so much. Um, and I always thought, it's like, oh, well, I'm just forgetful. It's like, yeah, no, it wasn't just me being mm. forgetful. It was actually like there was something. <laughs> that's an executive functioning thing. Who knew? So, yeah, it, it just, it's so interesting how it all unfolded and how it, like I said, just so many things from childhood onward just started to make sense as far as, oh, okay. Mm. Well, then, you know, that's interesting. And I think one of the biggest things, though, from that was just realizing, well, there's really nothing that I can do now about my childhood or about, you know, adolescence. It's done. It's gone. What can I do going forward? Yeah. And how do I then, but how do I also heal those wounds? Mm. <laughs> because, you know, oh man, yeah, there was a lot to process. Yeah, definitely. I, I can relate a lot because similar diagnosis. I've mm -hmm. got ASD level one and ADHD both inattentive and hyperactive and similarly late diagnosed. And I think about mm -hmm. the, the same things around finishing tests early and finding sensory overload very distracting. Oh, it, that, it it's great to see, though, that it seems like, at least in Australia, there's a lot more awareness of teachers that they'd probably pick up on it much earlier and they probably hopefully would have accommodations like you described in terms of a quiet room and allowing a, yeah. someone to go early if they finish. Yeah. Well, that was just my biggest frustration looking back on everything was that, and maybe this is really just the U.S. school system, elementary school supports as long as you have or as long as a child has the right, either in the IEP, which is the Individual Education Plan, or a 504, as long as they have something in place, usually they can get those kinds of accommodations. But it can be harder to keep those in place as they get older, or it can be harder for you to get those things in place in the first place. And at the elementary school level, at least, it's great because I think it's teachers recognize that kids are just kids and they're distracted, they're fidgety, they're whatever, whether they're on you know, the spectrum or if they have ADHD, they're just kids. Mm. <laughs> and you know, kids can get really easily distracted. Yeah. But as kids get older, you know, you're kind of expected to be a little bit more mature and to be a little bit more focused and all of that. So by middle school, it's like a little bit less, I'd say, empathy or sympathy towards that kind of situation. And then by high school, you know, you've been through the education system. You should know what to do. You know all of these things and your expectations have already been set. So when you don't meet those expectations, which, you know, nobody really talks about. So <laughs> for autistic people, that's just kind of difficult because then you have these unwritten societal rules and unwritten expectations that kids are just expected to know and to follow without any explanation or any kind of, you know, verbalization or anything. Yeah. So it's just baffling. Like, why? Why? And I'm mm. sure other kids would, you know, I think every child, who knows, other kids might benefit from that kind of stuff too. 
just knowing expectations. Because if someone had taken the time with me to just explain, okay, this is how you're supposed to behave or how you're supposed to act after you finish a test. You can't do these things because, and had, you know, just taken that time to just say, this is why you're supposed to do these things. Maybe it would have been easier for me. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. It's probably pretty cross-cutting as well, not just within the, the, the classroom setting, but also you talked about some help with social skills as well. I, I would have really benefited from yeah. that myself in terms of some of the things that are unwritten and implicit for yeah. typical kids. Exactly. Because I think, honestly, there's some kind of, some of the expectations that are kind of unrealistic for little kids, especially because you're just kind of expecting them to be these perfectly little behaved citizens without proper role modeling or without proper explanation and you're setting them up for failure. (laughs) Um, So even, I think it's gotten better at least and maybe part of it's because of the whole pandemic, but it's gotten a little bit better, but still take the time to just help kids in general and you know everyone's going to benefit from it hmm. yeah for sure right let's fast forward a bit to where you are now can you tell the audience a bit about the the type of projects you work on these days sure so what i'm doing now i work part-time as a communication specialist which means i get to do social media and email and all this other fun stuff and it's also nice because it's part-time, so I can pretty much set my hours. And in my other work hour time, I am an entrepreneur. I have a blog that I've had since about 2014, 2015. And I create digital products on that side of my business. I'm working on getting my podcast and my YouTube channel going again so I can really lean into coaching. Um, that's where my heart is. It's something that I've been wanting to do since 2017-ish. And I've always had that like perfectionistic tendency of, oh, I can't put it out there yet because it's not finished. I can't put it out there yet because it's not polished. I can't. You're just coming up with all these different excuses. And that's what they are, which, you know, part of it's just human nature. But then there's the other part of it too with like the whole ADHD stuff and rejection sensitive dysphoria. <laughs> it's paralyzing. It really can be paralyzing. Or as I've always tried to explain to people, it's like, look, I'm a, a procrasta planner. So you can't let me keep planning and planning and planning for the sake of putting something off. There has to come a point when I have to stop planning because I like to plan. And <laughs> I will happily plan and research and do all these other things to avoid doing the things that I should be. (laughs) It's sometimes it can be helpful because then I'll have these wonderfully laid out plans, but then I don't do anything with them. And I get so mad at myself later because I didn't do anything with them and I could have. (laughs) So being aware of it at least has helped a lot. Because now I recognize it's like, all right, am I planning to actually be productive and intent, you know, have intention to follow through with this? 
Or am I planning because I'm trying to avoid doing the uncomfortable thing that I might fail at? Okay. I'm Mm. planning to avoid the uncomfortable thing. I just need to suck it up and do it. Yeah. But it does. It makes me feel uncomfortable and I have a lot of anxiety around it. And more often than not, though, once I've actually gotten my projects done, it's like, oh, well, that really wasn't so bad. Or, wow, this got received so much better than I thought it would. Why was I so scared? Oh, that's right. I have worst case scenario running through my head constantly. And that, man, that's been one of the other big things that I've had to try to take control over is this always like worst case scenario of thinking. And I told people, I'm like, look, I'm an overthinker. I will make contingency plans for my contingency plans. So nice. Sometimes it can be detrimental because I get so paralyzed by my own thinking. But other times it's been kind of beneficial just because I said, especially with planning, I come up with these like really detailed things that I can then put into a step-by-step action plan versus just my step-by-step, oh, this looks really pretty on paper plan. And once it's in that form of step-by-step tasks and actionable goals, and I feel motivated. That's the other key is to be motivated about it. But then I really do. I have a step-by-step process and a step-by-step just a plan to make something happen. And sometimes it kind of astounds me. It's like, wow, I did this. I actually followed through. Mm-hmm. And now it's done. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that actually does sound really helpful in terms of potentially the ADHD side because I, I find for me, I'm not <laughs> particularly perfectionistic, but I can feel very overwhelmed if I have a, a large project. So what you described yes. in terms of breaking the, the tasks down and I think that helps with motivation as well. It helps a lot. And then, you know, my other big problem as far as like having a big project, one that's going to end up involving multiple steps and multiple pieces and facets, I'm going to want to work on whatever it is that I want to work on, regardless of what else needs to be done around it. So if I'm not following some kind of structured plan, then (laughs) I'm probably not going to do all the things that need to get done. And yeah, I've learned that lesson the hard way. (laughs) It's uh, not fun. Mm. Yeah, it'd be great to go into those in a, a bit more detail. Let's a few other questions before we go into that. Mm-hmm. How about when you're not working? Do you get much time for, for hobbies or free time? Well, I have a this is one of my other big things was setting very clear work-life boundaries. So I have a hard cutoff time of when I'm no longer on either my laptop or my desktop, which is where I do my work. It was harder with my laptop because, you know, that's portable. (laughs) And Oh, I can still, no, I'm not working right now. And I really, I had to treat it more like a, oh, I'm going to my nine to five job or whatever office hours I was keeping. So that was one of the biggest things for me just having those very firm boundaries in place and sticking to it, of course. And then I also tied that further to my phone because I was finding that I would go on my phone to check email, to check Instagram stats, to check YouTube analytics, to check any number of things. It's like, no, not working right now. 
And that includes not checking email, not checking Instagram stuff, not checking those comments from Instagram and YouTube are going to be there in the morning. I can reply to them then. I don't need to reply to them right now. And that has been one of the biggest things that just really just kind of allowed me to separate life and work. And then I have that time to, I like to watch Jeopardy. I like BattleBots. There's any number of documentary. I love documentaries. So I like to watch TV. I like to go outside and work in the garden. I have three cats. Um, I like to crochet. It's given me the opportunity and the headspace to really enjoy those types of things or to explore a new hobby or to just relax and not feel like, oh, I have to do something right now. But no, no, I don't. You can just chill. Hmm. Yeah, that... I love that strategy. I, I find I have to do the same. Otherwise, I'll end up working the whole night. Great yep. to have things like <laughs> yep. gardening and crocheting and, and playing with your cats, which are completely away from tech. And Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just it too, is just kind of really taking that kind of tech break. Because um, again, I will, except I love documentaries. I have a whole bookshelf full of books that I could be reading and I even cut myself off from listening to my Audible, which I told myself, I was like, no, Audible is not just for work. But then I was still listening to, you know, business-related books or marketing books. It's like, no, that's technically business. So no Audible. Mm. <laughs> Remove the temptation entirely. <laughs> mm. When do you listen to the Audible books now? I listen to them. Um, Mondays are my main kind of CEO day, for lack of a better word. So that's when I try to do all my plannings to set up for the week, double-checking my calendar to make sure that I haven't double-scheduled something because I've done that numerous times in the past. <laughs> and then I set up my, it's my educational and development time. So if I'm not going through like a course or something like that, then I put on my favorite or you know whatever marketing book that it is at the time i'll put that on i take out my spiral notebook and a pencil and i start taking notes and it motivates me and it just it really sets the tone for the rest of the week to put me in that frame of mind it's like okay well i learned this from and this is how i'm going to implement it because that's been you know I think that almost goes hand in hand with my planning and planning and then not taking actions that I like to learn, but then I'm not doing anything with the things that I learn. So now I'm forcing myself at following through on it. I love that. I'm going to ask more about CEO day. <laughs> How about your morning routine? Uh, my morning routine is pretty straightforward, um, very predictable, very structured. Uh, I always start with my coffee um, and I got my my daughter's lunch to get ready my younger daughter get her lunch ready after she goes to school um, my partner drops her off at school but after she's well during the more inclement weather a partner drops her off when the weather is nice enough we walk We're about 10 minutes away from the school but after all of that kind of personal life stuff, personal life gets sorted first. So it's daughter to school, laundry going, um, 
cats have been fed and I've taken my medication, which is always important. And then I ease into my work day. I have my phone set on do not disturb from like eight to four forty-five. So that way I'm not, you know, getting distracted with outside text messages or messenger notifications. I actually turned out most of my notifications off on my phone. And then like I said, do not disturb. So it's only contacts who are favorited or allowed. And then I check my emails. Um, if something isn't urgent and needs a response right then and there, I will respond right then and there. Otherwise, it gets sorted into a different uh, label on my Gmail. And I will respond to it, you know, giving in that kind of urgency level. Is it, okay, I can respond to this later or I can respond to it tomorrow. I open my Google Calendar. I will open the work calendar because that's also synced with my personal. So I can see all of the stuff that's coming up for the day. And then I open my Asana because that's where I've got all my worky tasks and that kind of thing sorted into. And yeah, just go pick the one thing that's on my list and start from there. I don't use to-do lists because those drive me nuts. Um, I have a task list. Yeah, that's my morning routine in mm. a nutshell. I like the putting the phone on do not disturb. Really good idea. Yes. Yes. Um, I yeah, do not disturb. I actually took Facebook off of my phone. Um, I had to have a very, very honest conversation with myself about uh, games on the phone as well. Because after I was taking a hard look at my finances, like, and come to the realization of how much money I was spending on seemingly harmless games. <laughs> no, not okay. Hmm. It was just a hard stop. It's like, no, I can't. This is ridiculous. So, no games, no anything. My phone is used as a, who knew? It's used as an actual phone. <laughs> For making calls. Yeah. Wow. You know. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, I've had to so be yeah, similar. That was the other, yeah, because otherwise it was just, and maybe it's just this, how society is right now, where it's you know this instant gratification thing, or you have to reply to things right now, or whatever. It's like, he, no, I really don't. <laughs> so <laughs> it can wait for me, hmm. unless of course it can. You know, if it's like a notification, if I have a phone, obviously, if I have a phone call from my daughter's school nurse that I need to come pick her up, I'm going to drop everything that I'm doing and I'm going to go pick her up. Mm. But if it's, you know, a friend calling and they just want to chit chat, I'm sorry, but I can't right now. I will get back to you later and I will call you. Yeah. You've shared quite a few techniques that you use in terms of optimizing productivity, things like the Pomodoro technique, block scheduling, focus music, and triggers to break out of hyperfocus. I was keen to hear you were saying earlier that there was a strategy that didn't work around that if you gave yourself half an hour to complete a task and you didn't finish it, that you felt really anxious about that. I'm curious about how that, with the Pomodoro technique, how do you make that different? How do you... How do you make it so that it, it doesn't feel anxiety provoking? 
with that, it was a lot of trial and error and just kind of figuring out what kind of tasks fit that time block or that particular stretch of time. So let's just say batch creating images, whether it was for social media or Pinterest or blogs or for whatever. I know how many of those I can do in half an hour. Not a problem. Or if it's editing either a podcast or a video or a blog post, I know how many of those I can do in half an hour. A digital product, I know how many of those I can do. Scheduling things, I know how many of those things I can schedule. So things like that that are just very repetitive and I like to call them mundane and almost monotonous and boring, um, which is where my focus music has to come in because otherwise I won't do it. That's helped a lot. So it was just, it was, yeah, it was trial and error and figuring out. It's like I used um, an extension called Toggle. So it's T-O-G-G-L and it tracks your time. So what I did when I was going through my whole trial and error period with this, when I was starting to do a batch of images, I'd start my toggle timer. And then when I was done with it, I stopped the timer. And then I did this for about a week and a half, almost two weeks. And I was able to get a really clear picture of how long it was taking me to do certain tasks. And there are other tasks that I can't really think of right now, like writing an email might take me longer depending on what it's about. Doing podcast interviews like this might take me a little bit longer because it depends on how prepared I am um, and whatever else is going on in life. So it was just all of that. It was really just being very, very critical with how I was using my time and being very aware of how I was using time. Because for me, when people say, you know, oh, time management, I'm like, yeah, no, that's a myth because you can't manage time. You can manage yourself and what you do with that time, but you can't physically manage time. And it wasn't until I was able to visualize and really see where my time, how I was using my time, that I was able to rework those half hour blocks and rework the block scheduling and know that you know okay i can make 10 pinterest pin images in this half hour all right let's do it let's go and then also being a little bit more excusing forgiving of myself if i didn't quite meet my quota because it, it, it happens you know it may not i may not have that inspired moment i may my internet might be down in that case i can't use canva So, okay, move on to do something that I don't need the internet for or whatever. You know, so it was just, it was being a lot more forgiving with myself and trying not to be as rigid with things, which was also very tough. (laughs) But, you know, it's it's gone a long, a long way in just my overall productivity and my overall um, work output, honestly, is just benefited greatly from it because then I can have those days it's like okay well it's Tuesday is for you know I have four blocks in my schedule that are dedicated to let's just say I write the outlines for my my podcast and I have the whole thing it's like in a template so I know exactly what's going into it and where I dedicate a day with blocks 
to do SEO research or to do market research or whatever. And having that has just helped me tremendously because I know what's expected. I've set my expectations. Ah, there we go. It comes back to the expectations. <laughs> hmm. The idea of theming the days, I, I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I have to. And, you know, I've also learned that sometimes it's okay if something doesn't get done on that day. Just because I planned it for that day doesn't mean that it's going to happen on that day. And I've had to learn how to be okay with that. Also a very tough lesson. Mm, <laughs> but... Yeah. <laughs> the other question I wanted to ask here was about the hyper-focus. And I guess that, that might be connected as well with, say, if you have an intention to do 10 of those Pinterest images. How do you, do you have a, a range for yourself? Because I find that if I'm in hyper-focus, I can probably crank out 10 with no problems, but then other days I might only be able to do five. And yeah. I have this um, mental idea that I can always operate at full intensity. Yep. And I think that's what creates <laughs> yeah. anxiety for me. Yeah. The hyper-focusing thing for me, it's mostly I let it go when I'm in a big creative zone and I use it for writing. So that's when I'm trying to harness it to do scripts for my podcast or scripts for YouTube videos or writing out captions for Instagram or anything that involves writing just because I I will get into a zone and or SEO research. I get into a zone and I need to stay in that zone. But then I also have like music triggers to kind of break out of it too. It's like the movie Inception. Um, they had triggers to break out of things. It's like, okay, yeah, I can adapt that and I can use it. So that's what I do. Mm, you keep and the bucket of water behind you and pull into the bucket oh, of water. Yeah, yeah. It's, yes, it's, it's just, it's a lot of triggers. Um, music, that's how I break out. And yeah, because otherwise I, and, and that was my other thing too, is just like, okay, it's just not happening today. That's okay. What else can I do? What else is on my task list? What else needs to get done? And I'll mm. go do that instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> how do you? How does it work with the music? Do you mean you, you put on a playlist for say an hour and then yep. after that it stops? Yep. I have a very specific playlist. Playlists mm. for specific tasks. Mm. So anything that I'm batch creating that's kind of menial, mundane, and or boring, I set to either musicals or to opera because my brain is kind of digesting and picking apart the music, the lyrics, the, you know, the harmony, the chords, everything else. And I can just crank out meaningful, but meaningless stuff. That's just kind of time consuming that I don't want to do. So I have to keep my brain occupied and happy <laughs> if I want to do that stuff. Mm. Yeah. It makes sense. And then for I writing stuff, it. it's more like upbeat and catchy. So, yeah. Mm. All right, let's do some rapid fire questions to, to close out the episode. Is okay. there a habit that you'd like to remove from your life? You, you talked about games and Facebook on your phone. It sounds like you've removed them already. Anything else that yeah. is on the chopping block? Well, those were my biggest ones, honestly. Mm. Yeah. Oh, my online shopping habits can probably be a lot better. <laughs> so I need to learn how to utilize wish lists more instead of just adding to my cart. Yeah. <laughs> how do you switch off in the evening? That is just, it's a hard stop. 
this is family time. This is personal time. This is my time. This is the time that I'm saying yes to these things. And I'm saying no to these other things. Mm. And that's mainly just a, a personal rule for yourself. Do you, do you use apps that will block work-related apps in the evening? Nope. I shut things off and I keep them off. <laughs> mm. Physically turn the device off. Yeah, physically turn it off. And then I have my phone, I leave it on my desk instead of next to me. So I can't check it. Mm. Right. And what resources do you find most helpful? Anything that you'd recommend? Um, like I'd already mentioned for time tracking and things like that, at Toggle. I live by Asana for my work organization, Google Drive and Google Calendar, just because of this ease of use those are my top three any audible books that you've listened to recently that you found particularly insightful um i the one that i'm loving or have loved the most is grit by angela duckworth yeah i like that one too okay and then final two where can people connect with you you said that your instagram is probably the best place yes and did you want to explain a bit more about the type of coaching that you do? Yeah. So it's clients that I'm working with are also late diagnosed, um, usually walking along a diagnosis for their own child. So it's that whole unfolding of, okay, things are making sense and whatnot. And then just, okay, how do I balance all of this? How do I manage these things? And just kind of re-navigating everything. Yeah, that- Sounds very needed. Yeah, that's my coaching focus. Great. And we'll have that Instagram link in the show notes. Yes. (laughs) Finally, any words or asks for the audience? Be gentle with yourself and be forgiving with yourself. You're only human and you're not broken. You are not less than. Your brain is just wired differently. I love it. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. We'll wrap the show with that. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Focus and Chill podcast. To listen to other episodes, jump onto podcast.focusbear.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a good fit, email us at team at focusbear.io. Otherwise, stay focused, stay chilled and peace out. <laughs>